Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. All right. Well, welcome everybody to our new series, Modern Families. I'm Tim, one of the pastors at Liquid. We're here in Morristown. We got to say hello to the rest of our church family. They're watching us in New Brunswick, Nutley. Let's hear it for them in Mountainside. Make some noise. Glad you guys are joining us today. Very exciting for this series. If you're watching online or you're listening on the radio, we're just glad you're, you're with us. And I want to be clear about this. This series is not about the television show Modern Family, but rather your family or the family you came from. How many of you, show of hands, came from a family? How many of you came from a family? Just quick, right? Okay. Yeah, that's how this works. You can raise your hand. Even if I'm not in the room, you can raise your hand. You can participate. But this is the challenge of a topic this broad because we all came from different kinds of homes. And our experience in this church is very diverse. Um, Some of you uh, have blended families. Some of you came from traditional two-parent homes. Some of you are on a second or third marriage, or maybe you're raising kids as a single parent. We have families in this church who have adopted children or are fostering kids. So we all come from these very different family backgrounds that have impacted us in profound ways. But if I ask today, hey, how would you describe your family growing up? What, how would you describe them? Have you ever seen the website awkwardfamilyphotos.com? Have you seen, have you seen this? It showcases cringe-worthy family photos. Take a look at this classic. I love this one. Dad and the kids having fun in the pool, except for one kid. That's, that's what you call getting hosed. Uh, how, about, how about wedding photos, yeah? Woo, yeah. All dressed up for headbangers ball right there. That's a good one, yeah? Dads can be embarrassing. Let's just acknowledge that, right? You got to get your practice in, though, right? You appreciate Babies are cute, uh, except when you invade their personal space. Um, but don't worry, dad will protect you, right? Dad is always a good protector, except when there's a petting zoo at your church. Then there's family Christmas portraits. All I want for Christmas is a shirt, I guess. I don't know. I love the matching shirts in this one, though. Pants, not so much. Ah, family. This little girl sums up how most of us feel at times about yours. What was your family like growing up when you think about your mom or dad or brothers or sisters, your awkward uncle or your grandparents? There really is diversity in a crowd this size, but I probably can predict two things about your family of origin. The first is this. You didn't choose your family, did you? (laughs) You know the saying, you can pick your friends, but you can't pick your family. None of us really have a say in the matter. That's why if you remember, at some point, probably around middle school, you had one friend that you said, man, I wish I lived with them. They got the fun dad, you know. They got the fun family, you know. They don't have any rules. They get to eat Skittles for dinner. They can stay up till any time they want. I wish I was part of their family, right? Most of us would have picked a different family at some point than the home we grew up in over the years. But speaking of which, let's talk about that. What kind of home did you grow up in? Because sociologists say that there are three kinds of homes. There is the closed home, the open home, and then there's the random home. Let me try to describe this to you, and then you think, well, which kind of home did I grow up in? Um, in a closed home, a closed home is run like a really tight ship. In other words, kids are up at 7 o'clock, breakfast is 7.15, there's a protein and a starch, you know, okay? The kids, the kids have their shoes on by 7.27, water bottle filled at 7.28, they're in the car by 7.29, mom hits reverse at 7.30, unless she's homeschooling, and then everything runs according to a very tight schedule, Dinner was at 6 o'clock, not 5.55, not 6.05, 6 o'clock sharp. Tuesday's pasta night, Thursday's pork. Eat it. You're going to like it. You're going to like it whether you eat it or not, okay? It's New Covenant times. Eat the pork. After dinner, 
you got to get your jammies on at 7.30, brush your teeth 7.35, read your Bible 7.45, and then I want the lights out at 8 p.m. sharp, okay? Otherwise, at 8.07, you will see a large wooden spoon coming your way, okay? There's a schedule in a closed home. There are rules. There's a chart for chores. Did you have that? Nobody gets to drop in unless they call and schedule 7 to 12 months in advance, okay? That's, that's a closed home. How many of you would say, yeah, I kind of came from a closed home. Does that sound familiar? Okay. An open home is more organized, not, not as tidy, though. You know, kids are up around 7-ish. Dinner's between 5.30 and 6.30. Maybe it's pizza again. Uh, you know, friends can drop by unannounced, but not everybody. It's a short list, okay? We let people stay the night, but we're not running a hostel, all right? You know, it's, it's a little bit more open, And then there's the random home, which is completely crazy. Kids sleep in whatever bed they want. They can stay up watching. They have Mountain Dew for breakfast. They don't really, you know, there's no schedule. There's no budget. Things are chaotic. The TV's always on. Kids stay up. People dropping in. And that's the thing. I've been in people's homes that are totally random. And like people walk in and just like get something out of the fridge. They don't even live here. You know, in the mornings, like who, who, who is sleeping downstairs? I don't know. It's a random home. Which one of these describes the home that you grew up in? Show of hands, all campuses. How many would say, I kind of grew up in a closed home? You know, maybe my dad was in the military or it was pretty, you know, okay. Open home? Open? Okay, about the majority of the people. How many random home? Random home? Yeah, I can see it. You're like all ADD or you're like all over the place. I get it. (laughs) The family I grew up in was somewhere probably between the closed and the open home. Let me show you a picture of my family of origin. Uh, this is my uh, dad, Dell. This is uh, my mom, Elaine. That's my older brother, Ted. He's older than me by about five years. And, uh, and that's little Timmy here. And you can see where I got my fashion sense from, right? Look at dad, the matching checkered coat. And you can see where I got my hair. Mom, I remember mom in the morning, she would have, you know, the radio on and she'd do Miss Breck, the whole thing. And then when I got married, it was like, like a, it's kind of like the Darth Vader helmet there. Uh, but my mom and dad liked things to look a certain way. They had an ideal family picture, and here it is, right? This hung up for 20 years on a wall. And, um, you know, it, was, it, it wasn't Beaver Cleaver, but it was close. Uh, my mom stayed home. Dad worked for Prudential 33 years, you know, never missed a day. Drove us to school at 745. Pickup was at 315. And mom and dad, I don't remember my parents ever raising their voice, okay? Uh, they, and I said, well, I guess they never fought. Now I realize they just kept conflict behind closed doors, um, but it was discipline. We went to church at 9.15 every Sunday morning, Sunday night, prayer meeting. You know, m- Monday, uh, you know, it was youth group. Uh, Wednesday was boys' brigade. It was structured, and it was pretty disciplined. But most of all, I really did feel loved. I felt loved. It was a gift from them. My wife, Colleen, on the other hand, grew up in a pretty random home for the first 12 years of her life. And let's just acknowledge what color my wife is in this photo here. Yeah. Can we hear it for the fake bake of New Jersey? That's awesome right there. I love it. This is amazing, sweetheart. Can you just enjoy this moment for a minute? We wore, we wore a lot of neon in those days. We were so cool. Look at us, man. That's amazing. Colleen's mom gave birth to her at age 18. Uh, her mom was divorced by 19, so it was like a girl raising a girl in Brooklyn, of all places. And her mom didn't know the Lord, so she had kind of a, a chaotic uh, existence growing up. Colleen actually remembers as a 7-year-old, her mom taking her to Studio 54 on roller skates, Okay. Imagine taking your seven-year-old daughter to a nightclub, right, and roller skates. This is in the 70s where there's drugs and free love. It's kind of crazy. So when we married, it was like two worlds colliding, right, because we came from two very different homes. And to this day, Colleen loves activity and energy. She loves when people drop by unannounced at her house. Me? Not so much, okay? (laughs) I know I seem super extroverted, and and that's true very much so, but I actually gain my energy from downtime. 
uh, just reading, kind of relaxing, crashing with the family. So that's a tension that we still navigate in our home to this day. But I don't know what kind of home that you grew up in, but I do know this about your family of origin. One, you didn't choose your family. You didn't have a choice in the matter. And secondly, no matter how good your family was, it wasn't perfect. No family is perfect. Universal truth number two. We all have stories to tell, don't we? We all have family secrets and squabbles and hurts and tensions that then surface around the Thanksgiving or or Christmas table. You know what? That's okay. You know why? Because there are no good examples of a perfect family in the Bible. (laughs) Universal truth number three. See, people come to church and and they think, well, you know, Tim, my family isn't perfect. Let me tell you about the families in the Bible, okay? Think about the first family. How about the first marriage, Adam and Eve? How did that marriage go, right? Woman kind of calls the shots. We're going to eat this. Adam stays silent. You know, he tunes out. And when things fall apart, he's like, the woman, she gave it to me. You know, the first passive aggressive husband, you know, they give birth to two boys, Cain and Abel. Okay. Who set the high watermark for sibling rivalry. How about you with brothers and sisters, right? One so jealous of the other, he actually murders him. Cain was the first human born and Abel is the first to die. Have you ever felt tension with your brothers and sisters? Where does that come from? Take a look at this photo. I think it's somewhere like this. You know, I, lo- I love this, man. Think about your brothers and sisters. Look at Miss per- little Miss Perfect right over here. And this kid's got the Anakin Skywalker eyes. You know, just look and I'm going to... Joseph. I mean, it goes all the way through the Bible. Joseph has brothers and what do they do? They throw him in a pit and tell their daddy died in a hunting accident. How many of you grew up with an annoying brother or sister? Show of hands. You'd like to go Old Testament on them right now, okay? You're- There are no perfect families in the Bible. See, even King David, a man after God's own heart, he had an affair. And then he and his son get into a fight that causes the first civil war in Israel. Where does his father-son tension begin? Look at this picture. I love this because you see the dad playing with his son's leapfrog game. But now look carefully. Where's his son? Do you see him? He's got him trapped underneath a plastic container from Target. Great job, Dad. This is like... So I kind of laugh a little when somebody says, you know, we need to get back to biblical family values. Really? Which ones? Okay? There are no good examples of a perfect family in the Bible. Just sinful, broken people who make mistakes, who God forgives and then manages to use in his plan of redemption in light of their dysfunction. So today I want to talk about Two things that every family needs. This series is going to start very broad today, and then each week I'm going to get more specific and practical. But today I want to start with two things that every family needs to flourish, regardless of what kind of home you came from. Maybe you're a traditional family or blended or you're a single parent, whatever, or you grew up, and and, and think about it now. You're like, I think around family people have this sense of like fate, like, well, I grew up that way. I guess that's how it's going to be. You know what? Not true. A fresh start is always possible, and you are not doomed to make the same mistakes that your parents did. So here's what I want to do. I want us to open our Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. We also printed this in your notes today. If you need a a set of notes or a program, would you raise your hand? All our campuses, raise your hand if you need notes. Our greeting team will come down, give you a set of notes and, and programs so you can follow along. Colossians, this is an excerpt from a letter the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Colossae around the year 60 AD, he wrote it while he was imprisoned in Rome. And under the heading, Instructions for Christian Families, here's what Paul writes. Here's what he says. Four verses. Watch this. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. 
Husbands, love your wives, and let's read the underline together today. Do not be harsh with them. Interesting, Paul had to command that. Children, let's read it together. Come on, kids. Obey your parents in most everything. No, everything. For this pleases the Lord. And then watch, he doubles back. Fathers, do not what? Embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. So, so in Colossians, four, four verses where Paul gives these broad guidelines for really two sets of family relationships. He's talking to husbands and wives, and then he's talking to children and their parents. And in each case, he instructs that family relationships operate around love. He says, husbands, I want you to love your wives and don't be harsh with them. In other words, he's coaching men. He goes, I want you to be tender and affectionate. Now, why did Paul have to say that? He's like, don't be harsh. Don't be domineering. Why is that? Because by nature, men can be abrasive or a little authoritarian. When kids step out of line, we crack the whip or, you know. And Paul's like, guys, all right, first thing, first things first. Love your wives, love your kids. And children, then watch, obey your parents in everything. In other words, love and obedience, love and discipline. And what Paul's doing is highlighting for us two things that every family needs. On the one hand, he's talking about love. And on the other, he's talking about discipline. Love and discipline, discipline and love. Those are the two things that every family needs to flourish. Now, parents, I get it. It's not hard to love your kids, right? But what do you do when they disobey? Some of you are like, that's what this is for, okay? The wooden spoon. Guess what? Biblical discipline is a little bit more nuanced than that. Hebrews 12 actually says that discipline is a quality of the father heart of God himself. Look at this verse in Hebrews 12. It says, the Lord disciplines those he what? Those he loves. There's love. And there's discipline, and the Bible connects them. I'm going to do a little bit of drawing, and I want to invite you to do this in your notes today. I actually drew this for you. I want you to draw, or I've drawn it for you, but I'll draw it up here, a baseball diamond. You know what a baseball diamond is? It looks like that. I drew this in your notes, and I want you to draw the foul poles, because love and discipline, in a lot of ways, are like the fair and foul poles in baseball. On the one hand, down the left field line, you have love. And then over here, you have discipline. You can fill that in if you're taking notes and kind of draw that in. But what you'll notice is these are the fair and the foul poles. And in between here, this field is wide open. In other words, there's great freedom in parenting styles, how to raise a family or kids who will flourish. You can do a lot of different ways to do that, depending on your personality, your kids. But these are the twin foul poles of love and discipline. And this is huge, okay? Because every family, parents in particular, I understand this, You need to raise your kids between the foul lines of love, they need to feel warmth, and discipline. You need to set limits. Parents need to be affectionate, but there also have to be clear consequences for disobedience. So love and discipline are the two ingredients that Paul's highlighting here for every family to flourish, and there's a reason for that. These two disciplines are the essence, the twin engines of God's heart himself. See, for Christians, our model for the family is not what we see on Dr. Phil or on Oprah or like what you saw growing up, okay? God is our model parent. God is our Abba or our Father, right? We learned that last series. And what we know about our Abba or Father, our God from the Bible, is that he is a parent of both discipline and love. 1 John 4, 8 says this, whoever does not love does not know God because what? God is love. So God is your perfect loving parent. He actually conceived you in love. Your earthly parents may not have planned you, but God did, okay? 
Scripture actually says he delights in you. He rejoices over you with singing. So right now, there is warmth, there's affection, there's tenderness radiating from your heavenly father right now at you, his son or daughter. You may not even be aware of it. You're like, I don't feel that way, but it doesn't matter. That's God's character. So for those of us, when we put our trust in Jesus Christ, God's one and only son, we are spiritually adopted into his family forever. You're a son or daughter of God. That's great news. It's good news. God is love. But scripture also says this. The Lord disciplines those he loves. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not, what's the word? Disciplined by their father. And discipline in the Bible doesn't just mean punishment. That's what we think. Discipline in the Bible means to teach and to train. And discipline sounds negative to a lot of people today because my guess is you remember being treated at some point in a harsh way without love. But God is the source of perfect love, and what that means is he doesn't correct us because he enjoys inflicting pain, okay? God disciplines us because he wants to develop us. He wants to train us, to grow us into responsible, mature, caring, confident adults. And his discipline is a gift to our development. Now, personally, I grew up in a home where there was that love and discipline and tension. My parents were warm and loving, but when I got out of line, it was the wooden spoon, all right? I feared this thing in our home, all right? Even when my mom, like, she'd just take it out to make pasta, I'd be like, no! You know, I got a averse reaction, you know, to a spaghetti. But uh, I could actually be, a, I know it's going to be a shocker, I could be a pretty rambunctious kid, all right? Uh, and when I crossed lines, my parents would give me a few swats. But I remember turning seven and outsmarting them because I had told a lie like to my folks. My mom was like, go upstairs, you know, and get in your room, and I'm going to get the wooden spoon and come up there. And I remember when I was seven, I was like, I'm, I got this. And I took one of those hardcover gold bug books and put it in my underwear. I put it in my pants. And back of my pants, my mom comes in and she says, you know, classic one. She goes, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. And she's like, and I was like, you got that right? And it's like, she's like, she started going and actually broke the wooden spoon. And then my father got involved and that's that. Uh, But, but it's funny because again, I'm not, I don't want you to get lost in the weeds of like discipline techniques. I'm not, this isn't about spanking because it's different for every child in your family. I think of my own children. Uh, Chase is our classic first child daughter. She's 11 years old and she is our rule keeper. She is obedient, she is compliant, she's verbal, you know, as a little girl. When I, if I even, I never use a wooden spoon. If I even raised my voice like, Chase, don't, she'd be like, ah, you know, she'd cry, you know. My life goal is to like get her on a roller coaster, okay. That's, that's the classic first child. My son Dell, on the other hand, just want to acknowledge this. He is nine, he was what you call a spirited child. He is full of energy, a little bit mischievous, very kinetic, kind of classic ADHD. Where does he get that from? Uh, and with Dell, discipline needs to be swift and clear, but also warm because he has a sensitive spirit. So it's important to him that we assure him that, that you know what? You are loved before we throw your Xbox in the garbage, okay? And it's funny because it changes, right? Now that they're 9 and 11, guess what? My daughter's entering the tween years. She's in middle school. So I have to take like a whole different approach I know now if I want to talk to my daughter about, like, something important, I got to go up to her room, and I got to knock on the door, right? Can I come in? And I'm like, I can't believe I'm asking to come in in my own house. Knock on the door. What's up, Dad? It's sit down on her bean bag. We got to, you know, turn on some Taylor Swift, you know, and I got to rub her back. You know, how you doing, honey? I heard, a, you know, there's something happened in science class, you know. There's not a one-size-fits-all approach to parenting. All children are different, and you know what? There are a zillion different ways 
to raise children who will flourish in the end. There's great freedom. And I realize right now I'm talking to parents, but this has broader application to everyone in this room. Think about this. Some of you are grandparents. Some of you are step-parents. Some of you are aunts and uncles, or you work in kids' ministry, or you teach our teens, or you coach our middle schoolers. So this applies to anybody who has any degree of influence in a kid's life. And there is great freedom in raising kids. But if you neglect these two things, love and discipline, you are going to have problems because you will fail to accurately represent God faithfully in his fullness to your kids. Think of how the Bible describes the character of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, right? John says this. He says, grace and what? Truth came through Jesus Christ. And that's really the same thing as love and discipline. Grace is God's radical love and affection and mercy. And then God is also truth. When there's disobedience, we call that sin. And there are consequences for that. Grace and truth, love and discipline, they're two sides of the same coin. See, it's not either or, it's both and in God's eyes. Grace and truth are core to the character of Christ. And good parenting will hit this both and sweet spot. If you shepherd your family within these two boundaries, it will naturally flourish. But watch. If you emphasize one to the neglect of the other, it will fail. This is true not just for biological families, but it's true for our church family. Think about this, right? Two of the core values of Liquid Church are grace wins and truth is what? Relevant. At Liquid, we want to live in the tension between these two boundaries, love and discipline, grace and truth. I want to love you enough as your pastor to tell you the truth. So here's the truth, parents. Every single one of us has a bias based on the home that we grew up in. Typically, we skew one way or the other. We either pull the ball to the right and say, I'm going to have a disciplined home, or we pull the ball to the left and say, you know, we don't need rules and all this structure, you know, they came down hard on me. And typically, it's based on the home that you grew up in. That's your default. For instance, if you grew up in a very strict home, like, you know, kind of like, you know, uh, you may pull the ball to the right because you know what? You're like, you know what? Spare the rod, spoil the child. That's how my dad did it with me. He was in the Marines, and, you know, this is kind of how we're going to do it. We're going to set curfews and rules, and we're going to, you know, have consequences in That's just the way it's always been, and that's what we're going to do. Or the opposite. You may say, you know what? That was my family. They were way too strict. They were obsessed with the rules, so I'm going to pull the ball the opposite way. I'm going to be the fun dad. We're going to be the one where, you know, anybody can come in our family and pretty much do anything they want, and the kids call the shots because, you know what? At the end of the day, we just want them to be happy, and we want to be friends with our kids, and, you know, I don't want to, like, you know, I'm not going to make those mistakes. Those who grew up in a home without discipline, how's that working out for you? Here's the thing, guys. Naturally, we will pull the ball in one direction or the other or play one spouse off the other. And what happens is that you will drift into two toxic distortions. If you emphasize love but don't emphasize discipline, you will create what I'm calling a permissive household. You will be a permissive parent. In other words, anything goes. If you emphasize discipline without love, you will create a perfectionist household where it's the kids have to, you know, be in bed a certain time. They got to make first date, all chair. We have high expectations. I'm a tiger mom and you better pull your weight because I'm going to withdraw the love and all that kind of stuff. All right. On the one hand, permissive, the other perfectionist. Now watch this. Permissive parenting is where there are no boundaries. There's few consequences and there's low expectations. I had a family come one time over our house. They were visiting when they pulled up in our driveway, it was amazing because they have a number of kids. They have over five kids. 
And when the doors of the car opened, it was like the circus. It's like the clown car. They just keep coming in. And I like open the door and they come running in and everything. And they're literally started jumping on the couch before they were even in. Shoes are on. They're like, what's up, Lucas? They're right in. They're pulling the dog's tail, his ears. The dog's like, what is happening? You know, no boundaries. All right. No respect for other people. Few consequences. This is mom or dad who actually just kind of avoids correction because you know what? They're either tired. They're like, you know, I've raised kids or I, you know, my second marriage, I just don't have energy anymore, whatever. Or there's little accountability or follow through because we want to be friends. We don't want to have conflict in our home because I don't like a home with conflict. So, so discipline looks like this. You know what? Hey, one more time, and I'm going to take that cell phone away. One more time. One more time. What? You know what? Kids will be kids. Just, you know, whatever. No follow through and low expectations because the goal for this child is to be happy and content. And so parents who have a permissive home say, failure is never allowed. We do not allow our child to experience any sort of pain or disappointment. So you overslept and you're late to school again. Whatever, I'll just write you a note. Don't don't worry about it. It's not about that. Oh, how's that going to work in the real world? (laughs) Practice is getting hard, honey. You know what? You can quit the team or or piano. You know, our our family goes to church like every once in a while, you know, but sometimes the kids just need to sleep in because they've been doing athletics all weekend. And, you you know, we hope they'll just see we love God. What masquerades as love is actually permissive parenting. It's trying to love your kids without discipline. That's one distortion. But on the other side, you have perfectionist parenting, a family that emphasizes rules over relationship. Because the goal, and this is what a lot of parents think, the goal is a well-behaved child in the home or out in public. So you need to act the right way. You need to say the right thing. Don't you dare wear that. We're taking a picture. Smile. You know, that's, you've been in that one, right? And you know what? There is harsh punishment. There's correction, watch, without compassion. Punishment is swift and severe. You fell short. Don't disappoint me that way again. But it doesn't even have to be physical. Watch this. Perfectionist parents employ the harshest consequence possible. If their kid fails to measure up, they withdraw their delight and their approval in the child. If you don't perform, mommy's not going to look your way. Daddy's going to say, well, I don't know. Yeah, but try hard next time, I guess because there are all-star expectations governing this home. Second best is not enough. I am raising these kids to be winners. You need to be all-state, first chair, straight A's. It's Tiger Mom. We got the scholarship. Guess what? We got into Princeton. That's a flag, parents. When you begin talking about your kids with the royal we, (laughs) we did this, we did that, you are pulling the ball to the right. Do you understand this? See how this works? Love and discipline. When you emphasize one to the neglect of the other, it's toxic to our family. Because permissive parents are trying to love their kids without correction. And you become an enabler who fails to confront sin and employ consequences. And you know what the tragedy is? You think you're being loving, but you're really being lax. And your kids are going to rebel and break rules just because they want a reaction from you. They want to understand, are there any boundaries? Do you love me enough to correct me? They may have seen it at the time, but later on, your kids will feel unloved because they intuitively understand the Lord disciplines those he loves. On the other hand, perfectionist parents try to correct their kids without love. They'll discipline kids just for being immature. You know what? You should have done better than that. And you know what? Kids may be outwardly compliant. They'll get into line for about the first six years, but inside their hearts grow hard. They become bitter because they're motivated by fear, not love. That's why Colossians counsels, fathers do not, what's the word? Embitter your children or they'll become discouraged. Dads, our words weigh 500 pounds. Mom's words weigh about 50 pounds. And when children disobey, I get it. But you know why Paul had to write this? Because by our nature, guys, 
it, it can seem disrespectful when kids disobey. And, you know, we come down hard because we're like, no one's challenging my authority, and we assert our authority. But when you correct your kids, it must be with compassion or you will crush their spirit. You will win the argument, but you will lose their heart in the process. You must have love and you must have discipline. Both of these are essential for any family to flourish and actually reflect the father heart of God to your child, which is the goal of parenting. Growing up, I had um, two friends with dads who really reflected the permissive parenting style and the other was a perfectionist. Their names were Harry and Paul. And Harry had the ultimate permissive dad. Uh, He was on his second marriage, and I think he was just tired at that point and pretty much just kind of let the kids have fun. So I loved going to Harry's house after school because if we went to my house to play, my mom's going to show up, and she's going to say, would you guys like a snack? And she's going to give us sliced peppers and apples. We would go to Harry's house, and his father's like, there's Doritos in the kitchen. And we would, we would put on Doritos bags, man, like a, a horse trough, you know, like a feed bag. And we would drink Mountain Dew, and he would let us watch TV for hours at a time. It was the first time I had ever seen Cinemax, all right? Like Skinemax, at 10 years old, I remember this. And Harry's dad could care less. There were no rules. And well, this is crazy, just even think about this now. Next to their TV, they had a parrot. He said, I want to get a parrot, and I want to teach it to talk. And the parrot's name was Oscar. This is just crazy. And Harry's dad thought it would be funny if he could teach Oscar to actually curse, and so me and Harry would sit on the, 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 you know, the couch. We're eating Doritos and getting wired up on a mountain and watch Cinemax. And, and Harry's dad would walk through, typically in his boxer shorts. He'd be like, hey, Oscar, say son of a bee. And Oscar would go, son of a bee. He's like, good parrot. And he'd walk. He'd walk. He'd walk. That's crazy, right? I love going to Harry's house because it was like Sodom and Gomorrah, man. It was like no rules. His dad never said no. His mom would buy Jordache jeans for Harry and his sisters, even though they didn't have the money because we just got to love the, you know. There was no fixed bedtime, and he had, a li- he had a license. Watch this. He had a license to do whatever he wanted, and that's what the Bible calls it. The Bible calls this license. When we actually take grace too far and say there's no consequences, you know what that does? It curdles kids. And Harry actually, no surprise, developed a drinking problem in high school. He had a kid out of wedlock, divorce, custody fight, and now he's in rehab. On the other hand, watch, watch. You're like, oh, yeah, see, perfectionist parents, you're judging right now. You're like, ah, that's, yeah, that's never going to happen in my house. Watch. <laughs> my friend Paul had the ultimate perfectionist father. He actually, his family went to the church that I went to, and they were super strict. Paul had to wear a suit and tie to church on Sundays, and his sister was never allowed to wear pants in public. No pants. You always have to wear a skirt at all times. It's like the Amish living in New Jersey, all right? And at his birthday, what I remember is, they would not allow him to have icing on his cupcakes, okay? This was before the gluten-free craze, okay? This was just fun-free, all right? And the, Bi- the, Bible, the Bible calls this legalism. No surprise, Paul got to college, went off the rails. His first taste of freedom went off the rails, partying, smoking pot, the whole thing. And he has ended up in rehab too. What? That's what happens when there's license or legalism. These are the two toxic distortions of love and discipline and the gospel itself. See, God is your loving father. But license is when you take advantage of grace and say, well, you know what? I know God's going to forgive me. So anything goes. And guess what? Some church families are like this, right? Some churches, they don't like to talk about discipline because God is love and he's fuzzy, was, he was a bear and all that. And there's no sin and there's no call to repentance and there's no accountability. And you know what? That church gets dysfunctional very quickly because nobody's held accountable to anything. But watch. At the same time, God is not 
some angry, judgmental father, like a policeman in the sky, just waiting for you to kind of step out of line and whack you back in. That's legalism. And some churches, when Christians emphasize the law and the rules, they say, I'm going to be accepted by God as long as I have a perfect life, as long as I don't break the rules, as long as I try my hardest. And some churches emphasize truth without grace. You are a sinner in the hands of an angry God. And either you have just sinned or you are thinking about it. You're about to sin. (laughs) And so my job is to kind of give you the rules and give you correction because you spare the rod, you spoil the child. Well, guess what? That church family eventually gets dysfunctional too because there's no room for the healing power of grace, of the unconditional love and mercy. There's no healing that takes place when people fall short of God's ideal and they're loved anyway. I'm sure you've been in churches like that. Super sound doctrine, but lots of rules. And you just go, where's the love of Christ in here? All families operate on these two pivot points. Your biological family did and your church family does. Both families need grace and truth, love and discipline in perfect tension if they want to flourish. So let me ask you this question today. As you think back on the family you grew up in, which way did they pull the ball? Did they pull it to the right, to discipline, or did they pull the ball towards love? Here's a better question. If you're raising a family of your own, you have influence over kids one way or the other, which way do you naturally pull the ball? Do, do, do you have a, a, a perfectionist parenting style or more of a permissive one? See, typically, we are weak in one and strong on the other depending on the home you grew up in because you don't know any better. You just go with what was modeled to you. So think about your home. What gifts did your parents give you that you're like, I want to keep that. I want to make sure that goes on in my kids, uh, that, the legacy of that. But then you have to ask, you know what, what, what mistakes or tendencies that they make that, you know what, I actually, with God's help, I want to leave behind and set a new pattern for my family. When I look back on my family, my dad was kind of a line drive hitter. That's what he tried to be. He wasn't flashy, but he did his best to raise my brother and I in center field, kind of equal measures of love and discipline. And I remember one summer in Lake George, we went on vacation. My brother Ted was 15, so I'd be about 10 at the time. And my parents took us on vacation to Lake George. We had a great time. We had the yellow family station wagon. We all get in. My dad took four days off from work, and he didn't do that. We didn't have a lot of money. And so we drove up to Lake George, and we packed all of our own food you know, and everything. Had a great time. And we're driving back from Lake George. I will never forget this. And uh, we're kind of low on gas. And so we stop at a gas station. And, uh, you know, we're getting out of the car. The yellow station wagon is there. And we're like, Dad, you know, we see a Coke machine. My brother and I were like, Coke machine. Dad, can we, have a, you know, can we get soda? And it was funny because my dad... <laughs> My home, eh, no soda. There's going to be no soda here. But we were on vacation, so my dad's like, you know what? License, my boy. You can get a Coke. You know? And he gave my brother two quarters, and I got two quarters. So we had a dollar to go to the Coke machine. So he's filling up the car, and my brother and I go up to this Coke machine. We put, oh, you know, here we go. And we hit the thing. Nothing happens. And my brother's like, put yours in. I was like, all right. Nothing happens. And, you know, we're boys, and so we're just like, Woo-hoo! We shake the machine, you know, we're hitting the machine. Come on, go on, get the coke out. Nothing comes out, right? So my brother's like, oh, for heaven's sake. So he gets his hand, he tries to stick it up there on the machine, and he's just like, ah, I'm like, it's break. you got a little hand. Put your, Timmy, put your hand. I was like, my hand? He's like, put it up. And so he puts my hand up in the machine. I start feeling around. I'm like, I feel, what do you, what do you feel? I feel something cold. And, and you know, he's like, what else? What do you, and, and I feel this little button. And he goes, push it, push it. And I go, and all of a sudden, I was like, oh my gosh, coke, coke. He's like, here, go, go get your coke. And so I put my hand up down comes another coke. I was like, oh my gosh, we got, we've solved it. And he's like, do it again. Right. You know, right? I put my hand up. Come on. Right? And down it comes, the mother load. We get 15 cans of coke 
And around the 10th can, it became sun-kissed orange soda. And that sent me off the rails, okay, at that time in my life. And, uh, and so we get these 15 cans of soda, and we run back to the yellow station. I grow up giggling, you know. And my dad's paying and all that. And we get in the back seat. We're like, shh, be quiet. You know, we're like, you know, like, we are five minutes of that trip. Like, we just start knocking these things back. And my father, I think, like, you know, we're just driving, and, and it, took, it took a while. We drove for an hour and a half before my dad looked in the rearview mirror and just goes, hey, what, what is going on back there? Because he hears, like, the 12th, and he's just like, you still drinking that soda? And my mom looks around the thing, she just goes, pull over, Dell. <laughs> and we pull the yellow station wagon to the shoulder, and now the hazards are on. And my dad gets out, and he walks to the back of the station wagon, and he opens it up, and these cans on the highway, man, and we're busted. And he goes, pick up everyone. We pick them, you know, pick them all up, and we're just all just sugared up. And we get back in the car, and all of a sudden, I will never forget this, he turns a left signal on, and he just goes, Rook! he pulls a Yui in the yellow station wagon. And I go, Dad, where, where are we going? He goes, we're going to make this right. Now, this is that moment, right, dads? Think about this, this is you. Do we, because this is that moment. He could have been very permissive and said, you know what? I love my boys. It's a little mistake. And kids will be kids. Boys will be boys. Don't do it next time, guys. Or he could nail us to the wall, pull our pants down the side of the road. You know, either one. My dad drove 90 miles back to that gas station. We drove an hour and a half. And with each mile we drove, I got more and more scared. Because I go, Dad, what, what are we doing? He goes, you're going to go tell the gas station manager what you did. And sure enough, we pull in, and the gas station manager's like, Larry the Cable Guy, he's got hairy shoulders, he's a big guy, all right? And, we're just, and he goes, get every can. And my brother and I walk out there. We were so scared. We were so scared. I go, Dad, I'm scared, I'm scared, I'm scared. He goes, it's okay, I'll go with you. And he brought my brother and I, that gas station manager, and he goes, tell him what you did. And we're and like, uh, and he goes, my boys have something to tell you. And I go, sure, what, what is it? And my brother's like, we borrowed extra Coke cans from you. <laughs> Well, we stole, you know, Coke from you. And the guy was kind of like, he actually, he was just like, oh, did, what, how'd you do that? Well, you put your hand, oh, that's, uh, that, that's creative, man. You just kind of, that's all right. My, God, my father goes, no, it's not all right. He goes, we actually come to make this right. And so we return the cans, and my dad takes out his billfold and counts out one to $6.50 to cover our stash. And we get back in the car, and before we get in, I just like, kind of start crying. It's, I'm only 10 years old and all that. And my dad hugged me and said, come here, Ted, come here. And he called both boys in. He said, I want you boys to understand something. Integrity is what you do when no one is watching. Integrity, boys, is what you do when nobody is watching. And then he arranged a repayment plan for us over the summer. How to, are we going to pay that back? <laughs> That's an amazing memory for me to look back on because that was 30 years ago. And as I'm telling it to you, I'm back in that station wagon because it imprinted itself on my soul forever, because my dad wasn't perfect, but he did understand God's heart of love and discipline. He set very clear boundaries for my brother and I, and there were consequences for our sin, but notice dad said, I'll go with you. His love actually covered it over. He didn't blow up and guilt us or shame us, but instead he came alongside us and he paid our debt to the station manager. And you know what he did? He restored our relationship on the way home. By the time we got home, we were actually laughing. And that was an important lesson. Because that's how the gospel works, my friends. Your heavenly father loves you with an unfailing love. No matter what you've done, no matter what mistakes you've made or ways that you have failed with your family, guess what? Right now, you know what your father says? I forgive you. I love you. 
And the reason I'm disciplining you is I want to restore a relationship. And on the cross, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, he died to reconcile your relationship with the Father. And if you allow God's discipline, the truth of God's word, into your life, it will give you new patterns for righteous living, for righteous parenting. So those of you with children today, I'm just going to say, Mom and Dad, you got a huge task ahead of you. I pray for you and I pray for me. It's the greatest responsibility you will ever know. And love and discipline looks different as you move through different stages of a child's life. So let me give you a sneak peek about what we're going to talk about next week. Next Sunday, I'm going to show you there are four stages of parenting, and love and discipline look different depending on the stage that you're in. Some of you are right now, you got young kids under the age of five, and they're like, we're just trying to survive. I'm trying not to kill the kid. That's where I'm at, okay? I get it. That's a very short window. Very short window, okay? Thou shalt not kill. That's like, that's it, you know. It's a, uh, but then it moves into the training years, where it's not just yes or no, don't touch this, don't do that. It's actually, you want to actually train them the why behind the what. And then it moves into coaching. That's kind of middle school, because now there's going to be failure, and I want to let you fail, but I want to coach you through that, because the end goal is friendship. That's where Colleen and I are right now. We're like, oh my goodness, we've got seven years left because our goal is to eventually be friends with our kids when they're adults and have families of their own. Our, our goal is that their heart would be a shepherd in such a way that would be like, we want to spend time with mom and dad. And here's the challenge. Just watch. I'm going to get into this next week, but I'm just going to give you a little teaser. Watch this. The mistake most parents make is that they say, yeah, I want to be friends. And they try to be friends with their kids in the early years when they're not ready for it. Watch. And then when they go off the rails in middle school or high school, they're going crazy, they're drinking, all this kind of stuff. Then they say, you know what? We're going to tighten the reins. We're going to discipline these kids. Good luck. Game over. You try to start disciplining your kid around here, it's over. It is over. So there are new patterns you can have, but you have to be intentional about your parenting. It's not just kind of like, well, I'm just going to take the owner's manual that my parents gave me, and I'm just going to go through it. God says, I want you to take lessons from me. I'm your heavenly father. And if you see yourself pulling the ball, you realize these tendencies, you're going to have to depend on me and say, God, you gave me Holy Spirit discernment for how I'm going to nurture this child. Listen, it doesn't have to be that way. You can reflect the fullness of your father's character, but you have to allow his grace and his truth to penetrate your own heart first. And that's what I'm going to talk about next Sunday. This week, I want to start with a big picture and set this up. But next week, I'm going to get very specific and practical about how to love your kids with discipline and discipline your kids with love. Sound good? Let's bow our heads. I want to pray for all of our campuses right now. Father, we love calling you Father. You're the only perfect parent we'll ever know. And it's stunning to think at the heart of the universe right now is a love relationship between a father and his son. We thank you, Jesus Christ, for being the only perfect child You are loved perfectly by the Father, and you are also perfectly obedient. But, Father, that doesn't intimidate us because we know you've given us the Holy Spirit. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, you've set that in our hearts. And so I ask right now that the Holy Spirit would begin doing his work. Where there is conviction, Lord, where you have spoken clearly to people this morning, would you confirm that it's your word speaking? Lord, wherever there has been um, anything said this morning that's not helpful, Lord, let, let my words just fall to the ground. We want to hear the Holy Spirit. But I ask that you would do new work, Father, bringing dysfunctional families, Lord, back to wholeness, bringing healing where there are rifts in relationships. We know that you can do it through the power of the cross. You've restored our relationship with you, and we are forever grateful. We ask all these things in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And everybody said together, Amen. 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 
Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.